TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Art is the intention. If an artist what? intends to create art, Not then a, the creation is art. What, what I want to know, like, is in the future, will they be able to tell between good and bad art? No. Will they be like, <laughs> no. this per- because, because you can't account for taste. This person is creating bad art, and these regions of his brain are lighting up. <laughs> Welcome to Dr. Heckle, the science communication podcast that never calls you on your cell phone. Late night, when you need our love. You used to, you used to. On today's episode, brain regions involved in creativity, the many genes involved in earlobe attachment, and origins of the theme music for Mega Man 2. Welcome to Dr. Heckle, the science communication podcast that will not save you 15% or more on your car insurance. With me today on the show with a Bachelor in Fine Arts with concentration in graphic design from the University of Memphis, the man behind the Creative Memphis podcast, Billy Nation. Welcome to the show. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. And with a Master's of Arts with concentration in journalism from the University of Memphis, comedian Doug Gillen. Welcome to the show. Yes, yes. Hi. Hello. Thank you, Mark. Now, uh, we're going to delve into the world of science, but I want to hear first about uh, what you have going on. So, uh, Billy, tell us a little bit about the Creative Memphis podcast, how it started, what it is designed to showcase. So, I first started the podcast with a partner of mine who has now moved on. He's not dead. He's still alive. He's just in New York, so he's dead to me. Uh, His name is uh, Andrew Leibowitz. We started it with the idea of highlighting creatives in the Memphis area. So, Creative Memphis podcast is an hour-long conversation with a featured creative. We talk to them about, you know, what kind of current projects they have going on currently, as well as what they're going to be doing in the future, and how they got to where they are today. We try to understand the creative mind and how it develops through, you know, the, the course of you know, a career and finding something interesting. And we try to find, you know, what you can, interesting people uh, in the area that are making a name for themselves in interesting ways. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You you never know. Like, I want people to be along for the ride to discover somebody new or more about the person that they already know. Great. That sounds fantastic. Now, uh, of course, we have another creative here. You're a comedian, Doug. That's right. And and so tell us how you got into that, uh, that sphere and perhaps a bit about your process of creativity. Yeah, uh, well, I I got into comedy, I think, through working in journalism and working particularly in advertising. Uh, When you study journalism, they always say, that's the way to go make money if you get tired of telling the truth. You know, you can can go into advertising because we, yeah, we try and say anything we want. I I I had a wild cherry Pepsi, you know, today for lunch, right? A wild, and it says, wild cherry flavored with artificial flavors. And I was like, oh, so you can just say whatever you want now, huh? Because like, I, was, I was thinking, like, wild, that seems weird, right? Like, how do you find enough wild cherries to actually, f- you know, flavor all of the wild cherry Pepsis? Maybe you just being... determine the difference between a wild-flavored cherry and a, and a cultivated cherry. No, that's exactly... So exa- then you can say, yeah. wild, wild cherry flavor, see? Yeah, that's exactly it. Some <laughs> scientist like you, you know, sat in a lab and came up with, like, five different cherry flavors, and they were like, this one's the best. And some marketing guy was like, I don't know, Coke and every... That's how marketing guys talk. They go, I don't know. No, no, no. Yeah, start out every conversation. I, I don't know. That's I, just how you do it. And then they were like, Coke has a cherry Coke and Dr. Pepper has a... Look at that cherry. Do- We've got to differentiate ourselves, guys. Let's go with wild cherry. Well, that way they can be edgy. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pepsi's about youth, right? Yeah. So anyway, I was... Yeah. 
So my creative process is uh, thinking about things that are right in front of me for way too long and then seeing if anything uh, comes out of that. Uh, but it, it does. It comes from the idea of, of, of advertising and, and journalism is all kind of about uh, being being shorter and, and communicating something with somebody and causing a reaction, particularly in advertising. You want somebody to do something mm-hmm. when you uh, when you write a headline or when you write you know body copy or anything. That's and it's not also necessarily always a good thing if you write you know a, a, a headline that draws a reader in, but it's incorrect as we talk about all the time on this podcast. That's yeah. not it's not necessarily a good thing. No. So, ha- so you've got to keep your creative purity at hand. Are you? Uh, I was going to ask you, uh, Billy, now, do you have any creative projects of your own aside from, I suppose, the podcast in a way is a creative project, but you're showcasing all these creative people. So do you have any other creative projects of your own that you usually get to, that you get to talk about? Or is it... You're making me pierce behind the veil. No, I'm not creative anymore. No, it's like, yeah, I mostly do, like, I turn kind of into a bit of a journalist, you know, with archiving uh, people's stories, and it takes up a decent amount of my time, as, as it is. I do have desires, because when you talk to people, to motivate people... You have people, desires? I, I have deep, <laughs> deep-seated desires that I'm not going to share. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, well, we'll have to cut those out. <laughs> Sorry. Um... When you talk to so many people that are motivated to build interesting things, it's hard not to also begin to engage with that as well in yourself. Yes, I have lots of ideas all the time. It's kind of hard to want uh, or to be able to act on them uh, as much when you're also still trying to extol the virtues of others. That's a very good answer. But would you like to know then where that creativity came from? In people, do you what? What do you think creativity comes from? Do you think it is just a uh, innate, natural ability someone has, or do you think uh, what? What do you, what do you think about creativity? I've and got where a it comes lot of from? answers uh, for that one, coming from a lot of different directions, mostly sti- stemming from I don't think you can answer it. So now I'm interested in what you have to say. Well, okay. So up until recently, the origins of creativity within the brain has been largely inconclusive. Obviously, it's very difficult to study regions of the brain uh, now. But there is, of course, many groups working actively towards trying to like dissect out uh, actions of creativity and, and brain functions that are associated with it. So there was a paper in uh, the journal Neuropsychologia uh, in 2014 uh, that kind of it went over, first of all, that there is emerging evidence from some consistent results uh, about an important role in uh, the inferior prefrontal cortex. Now, that's regions associated with controlled memory and uh, central executive processes Uh, central executive processes are basically your attention processes but the uh, and then also this thing called the default mode network now that's regions of the brain that are associated with internally directed attention spontaneous cognition you know when your mind wanders you know when you're daydreaming etc etc thinking to yourself too much now uh, the association between those two regions hasn't been necessarily uh, dissected too much. And so what this group did is they took a bunch of people and they did uh, divergent thinking tasks. Now, um, if you think about... Exactly. What, right, yeah, I'm, a I'm, divergent I'm, I'm thinking task. You take, uh, you know, in front of you on the mic, you have, uh, you have your water, a water bottle. And your use of that water bottle is to drink water out of the water bottle. A divergent thinking task, you would be asked to think, what is an alternative use for this water bottle? Hey, now. 
And it, you can th- you're thinking of something else that made you no, say, "Hey, no, now." Absolutely not. I don't know what you're talking about. You're think, thinking think of something I, else that made you say, bottle. "Hey, now." That's an example of going to put anything else in there. Divergent thinking. And uh, now, what you can do when you you do a, uh, a study like that on some people is you can kind of separate people out into high creativity groups and low creativity groups. People who who uh, apt at creative thinking, you know, uh, roll with, roll with the punches. People who don't really engage with it at all. Don't really under, you know. Don't really use that part of their their brain as much. I suppose. So, if they're high creativity group, do they join Shailene Woodley on an adventure in you know a series of young adult novels that then become films? Uh, what that's one of many things they could do. <laughs> the divergent is what I'm saying. Is yeah. A, yeah. Okay, you guys got it. Now, what uh, what you can then do, or what this group then did, was to put these people when they were doing these divergent thinking tasks into an fmri machine okay so you're pinpointing when people are being creative and you're looking at the regions of the brain that are lighting up and what they uh what they showed was in these highly in their highly scored creative group the connection between those two regions that i'm talking about the dmn and the ifg these two, these two regions. Remember, it's, it's PDR, B, BRB, P, yeah. the PBR, well, L- yes. the, the PBR. And remember the, the regions. One that can, is uh, involved in memory retrieval. One that's involved in this spontaneous cognition. Hmm. Uh, those are far more connected uh, than. There's far more of a connection between those two. Far more of an interaction between those two regions in the highly creative people. Okay, okay, keep going. So what you're saying is if your brain shares a Coke, then it can come up with things better than if it just keeps it to itself. <laughs> what, what we're saying is that, the, uh, that those, uh, those networks are more associated with each other or they, they light up at the same time and are more connected in people who are deemed by this study to be highly creative. So it's uh, the first little insight to show or one of the first insi- little insights to show where this idea, where this idea of creative people, creativity itself comes from. What do you think about that concept in general? Do you think, uh, having heard about this fMRI study that's linking these brain regions, do you think that we're going to eventually be able to pinpoint down creativity, or do you think it's always going to be an elusive, an elusive thing? Do you think you could have a pill to make you more creative? <laughs> Damn. I mean, I guess that's just LSD, right? Or, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that, that comes in. A, that comes in. There are a variety taps, of of, yeah. of substances I think <laughs> that can that can make the brain work better we together. We already got them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'd say it's dangerous. Who knows? Like, it, it, as long as there are human beings on the planet, it's, it's like asking questions out of creativity. And certainly if you get to the dangerous one of what is art, like you're never going to find an answer. Hi, I'm Christy. And I'm Carly. And we host Surf Memphis, the podcast where we let strangers sleep on our couch and show them your city. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and on the oamnetwork.com slash Memphis. Welcome back to the Dr. Heckle podcast. We move on to our news item of the week. This article is from The Guardian, this uh, scientific article, and it's written by a guy called Ian Sample, <laughs> scientific, scientific editor at The Guardian. Ian Sample. Sure. Uh, what kind of sample? Did, okay. I picked out that example. I'm sure they there. say that every week. Uh, uh, he probably... Well, it, it, 
wouldn't have hurt in the interview. Yeah, Ian Sample. Yeah. Now, uh, sample your work. Okay. This this article is called "Researchers Share Twenty Two Million Dollar Breakthrough Prize as Science Gets Rock Star Treatment." Now, this is referring um, to an annual ceremony at NASA's Amy's Research Center in California. It's the uh, it's a far bigger prize hall than the Nobel uh, prizes. How much was it? $22 million. $22 million. It's, it's backed by the Zoom. You can buy 22 Pagani Huayras with that. You know, yeah, well, after taxes, maybe right, 20 yeah. yeah, okay. I don't know what you do. It'd be like a whole year's worth of output for that factory. I'm just going to talk That's about hypercars the whole time we're here. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> then uh, I'm going to railroad you. So, uh, okay. It's it's, it's basically it's, it's bankrolled by the Zuckerbergs, uh, but all right. This this year's winners included five uh, researchers who won uh, three million dollars each for their work on cell biology, plant sciences, and neurodegenerative diseases. A couple of math- mathematicians and a team of twenty seven physicists. Wow, what did yeah. they work on? They worked on mapping the primordial light that warmed the universe Ooh. moments after the Big Bang occurred thirteen point eight billion years ago. Something they can still measure. Yes, something they can still research and measure. It's it's insane. That's yeah. made up. No. <laughs> don't start, they just they just, they just don't start doubting smart science they're like, now. No, they're 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 just like ah, oh, see that that no. moved this way. Here's this old picture. Space has a temperature. You can you can measure it, and apparently all of space, like the in between all the stars and the planets, has uh, a temperature, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if it was absolute zero, then then nothing would exist at all it, right. you, absolute zero you will get temperatures so so close to absolute zero out in deep space but not nothing will be absolute zero yeah i think it's it's funny this whole idea of like you know that sounds so insane that somebody could track light from what'd you say eight billion not it has to be more than 800 billion years ago what'd you say 13.8 billion years okay, ago. Okay, 13.8 billion years ago. I mean, that's, that's so long, right? And then the idea that somebody could, could you know, through wavelengths and pictures and, and, and data and all this different stuff, that they could figure out the way that's moving. And I just feel like the kind of person who, I mean, I was kidding, but who says like, well, that ain't real, that's all made up or whatever. That, that's the same person who, when they said, hey, this, like when they're grabbing air, air is something. Oh, that ain't real. That ain't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, it's kind of akin to, if you think about uh, it's, it's like a blind person being asked to make a accurate map of the world. Yeah. Like you, ha- you have to use all of these auxiliary factors. You can't use your if you're if you're blind and you're trying to make a map. You can't use your sight. You would have to use touch. You know, uh, all of your other senses. All of your right. other senses: touch, hearing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Or um, let me go taste some dirt. Yeah. Exactly, and you and to build up a detailed picture of the Earth without being able to see any of it. Right. Uh, that's effectively what scientists are doing to the universe because they they have to use all of these insane uh, pieces of sensory equipment, you know, detecting uh, detecting things on the far range of you know far, far range of um, the EM spectrum, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that that you wouldn't be able, you obviously wouldn't be able to do, to do, and our ancestors haven't been able to do. Uh, now. Uh, other another winner, Joanne Chori at the Salk Institute in San Diego. She was honoured for three decades of research into genetic programs that flip into action when plants find themselves plunged into shade. So you know how plants and trees they she's making super plants. They she's teaching plants how to. Oh, you're talking about how they like a vine will move right if, to to follow sunlight. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Or yeah. or if uh, or if for instance 
it is covered by another flump, another plant or something. Okay. And then it moves out of the way to yeah. find the, yeah, it angles and all, yeah. Et cetera. So then what is, what does she study about that? Well, she's done, the point is she, this is a lifetime achievement award. She's done three, oh, de- right. three decades worth of work in, to a huge, a huge amount in this field. Okay. Uh, now it's a star, it's a star studded, um, event right you know, morgan freeman was the host and the zuckerbergs as you said the zuckerbergs there uh, the zuckerbergs bankrolling the whole thing mila right. kunis was there and miss usa 2017 cara mcculloch who does actually have a uh, chemistry degree how about that or she's a chemist um but was mayan bialik there but the <laughs> article said that these scientists were getting, or science was getting the rock star treatment. The rock star treatment. Right. Okay. So there was, you know, stuff going on in the back room, VIP section, throwing it up, champagne. I feel like drugs. Mark's going to go some angle here where, like, he's talking about stars are not rocks or something like that. No, 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 no. <laughs> so this is, this is the, the biggest scientific uh, award event in the country, and I probably the world? the world with regards to how flashy and expensive Fantastic. that it is. Okay. Uh, but I, oh, ha- I have they to gave take- him a Pagani Huara. Oh, that, okay, yeah, that's what, right. Yeah, I have to take a little bit of ire with this with this term because, uh, first of all, people do not know the names of these scientists like they know the names of rock stars, and they probably right. should, and they should also, you know, be be far more aware of the work that they're done. But obviously, scientists are not going to be stadium fillers, right? And the perfect illustration of that in this article. <laughs> well, I mean, scientists could sit uh, in a stadium to watch uh, Bon Jovi. They could be stadium fillers in in that regard. Maybe you would have them open. Yeah, put them on. Stage. No, I mean, I'm saying they could they could literally fill the stadium. They could be the butts in the seats. Like you could find enough scientists to fill an arena. You know, they would they would. That's true. Actually, fill it. Okay, here's another thing. We need more scientists you, filling our political seats. That's all I'm. R- you talk about. Uh, you know, scientists and not being as well known as rock stars, but like rock and roll is like dad music now, you know, so maybe rock stars aren't that well known <laughs> at this point, you know. You make a very good point. <laughs> yeah. is, that, is that what it is now? It's all electronic. I so mean, they get the rock star rock. treatment because no one knows who they are. Yeah, the right? That's, yeah. yeah so, you know, it's like, oh, scientists and rock stars, they're about the same. Up there with jazz musicians and polka dancers, you know, it's all, they're all together. The perfect illustration of this, though, in this Guardian article, and the reason I chose it for selection today, mm-hmm. uh, as an example of journalism that will make you sigh, right. is that the lead picture they had of this uh, event was not of any of the scientists that won, was not of molecules or whatsoever. But a rock star. But it was of... Miss USA, <laughs> who had oh, not man. won. Come on, who had not won a prize? Was she a presenter? Uh, she was just there. She was just there, hanging out. Just there, hanging out. So instead of taking a picture of so the instead scientists, of t- they're like, you know what? She's better. Instead of Imagine taking a picture, she won the award. of any of those twenty-seven physicists of the mathematicians of this lady Joanne Chory, who had been being honored for three decades of research. They chose. To put Miss USA 2017, Cara McCulloch, on the picture of that article. And for that reason, The Guardian, once again, this podcast dubs you fake news. <laughs> Let Ohm help you get the word out on your service, product, or endeavor. Email info at theoamnetwork.com. Welcome back for our final section where I take a journal article and try and explain it to our guests. And they eventually regurgitate that information back to me. Today's paper 
comes from the Department of Human Genetics Graduate School, Public Health, and University of Pittsburgh. And the article is called Multi-Ethnic GWAS Reveals Polygenic Architecture of Earlobe Attachment. Okay, the first, The first author is John Schaefer, and the last author is Seth Weinberg. Can I ask a question of uh, Mr. Schaefer and Mr. Weinberg as we get started? Uh, what, what is GWAS? Yeah. GWAS is Genome-Wide Association Study. Genome-Wide. So this is about earlobes? Yes, this and is about earlobes. It was published in the journal, uh, the American Journal of Human Genetics. I can understand your interest, okay. then, Mark. You're just you're really trying to figure out where those came from. Now, uh, obviously, at this point, actually, I can't see your earlobes because uh, we, we're wearing headphones. Right, but I know. But do you. you know? Do you know if you have attached? Yeah. Or detached earlobes. Yeah, I, I know. Okay. But I'm going to keep you in suspense for a minute. So I, mine are attached. Yours are attached. Let me see. Mine I want to verify. His are kind of mostly, yeah, attached. See, yeah. My, 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 my earlobes are attached, but yeah. I talked about it, another part of the ear that you know, isn't the earlobes, and it's this, uh, this front top part right here. You can yeah. see okay. rubbing. Yeah. That right-hand side uh-huh. is different uh, than it is for most uh, people. Oh, yeah? That slant. Because you okay. have a slant. Most people have a slant. Mine does not. You have a, you have a slant. On the right-hand side. Yeah, your earlobes are attached. Mine are definitely not, man. I'm, 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 my ears are hanging low. Your ears hang low to you. Walking to and fro? Yeah, that's how it goes. There you go. As a, uh, fro and two? Just shot him with the something. Maserati. Yeah, hypercars. That's good. Now, it's... It's a Bugatti. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Earlobe attachment has long been known to be a genetic trait. Uh, but... And it's been argued, actually, for the past hundred years or so, whether it is something that's caused by a single gene, something that's caused by you know many genes working in concert together and it turns out it is far more complicated than originally thought now uh, a genome-wide association study right. is basically gws you sequence yes. the yes. genomes okay of all of these people uh-huh. and you're looking for a specific trait you know you you've got information on whether these people have attached earlobes partially detached earlobes fully detached earlobes right uh, or in their youth. or in <laughs> earlobes in their youth, or it was like drugged down by a particularly heavy earring, or they had like one of those devil's rings made into it, you know? Because then you got like a, you know, that. But you can, you can do it with you can do it with anything. You can do it with any trait. So, for instance, if people are getting kidney cancer, you can do you can uh, look for sp- certain stratifications. You would have uh, kidney cancer and look for uh, gene signatures or um, you know similarities and associations. Uh, with that given trait right. when you sequence the, the whole genome. Now, uh, for a lot of diseases, this actually you know, hasn't necessarily pulled up as much great information as uh, and you would initially hope, because if you think how large the genome is and uh, you know, the evolutionary... How large is it? Yeah, the evolutionary <laughs> history over time, uh, you know, it's... You, you've got a high signal-to-noise ratio. Now, signal is a, you know, your real effect. Noise is just random variation not associated to that effect that you know maybe uh, maybe upregulated in that certain population. May, there may be a higher prevalence than you would expect, but it it might not mean anything. Yeah. Okay, I didn't catch any of that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so <laughs> let's, 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 let's forget about that, that, that okay. for a second. There's G, a G, sequence G, of G-Wes. G-Wes. Yeah. You sequence everyone's genome. Right. 
you sequence everyone's genome. GYS, GYS, YSG, GWAS. Yeah. Sequence everyone's genome. You then say, okay, of all those genomes I've sequenced, who has the attached earlobes? Okay. And then when you look at, when you look in there, uh, in the, in the sequence data, in the you know in the RNA sequencing data, sometimes. Sorry. Rabinoclate. I got that one. That's fine. Yeah, RNA and DNA. DNA makes dinosaurs, and RNA is for other things. <laughs> <laughs> not dinosaurs, yeah. like rabbits. Yeah, it's rabbit and DNA. Okay, so so GWAS. Genome-wide association uh, study. Right. You, you sequence all of the genome. You're looking for one specific trait. In this case, earlobe attachment. Right. So then you say, okay, I have all of these people with attached earlobes. Mm-hmm. Now, what uh, what in their DNA sequence is the same? And what pops, pops out above statistical significance? So what is a real association? Now, this group... They did a, a huge study, actually. It was in, involved... How big was it? <laughs> it was this big. <laughs> 74,000... <000, laughs> okay, that is a lot. 74,660 individuals. Now, they had... Uh, you know, it was, it's obviously very difficult to collect a study from this amount of people. Is this what that genealogy.com box is? It's just a sham to get people to sign up for this earlobe study? 23andMe actually was featured within it. Okay. Because... That's what it's called. Yeah. Not- so, th- so, they had... Uh, their, their normal side of the study, I suppose, which included uh, three different e- ethnic groups, European-American, Latin-American, and Chinese. Right. And they had, uh, let's see, 1,800, 5,000, and 2,800, respectively, of those populations. And those, they got analyzed by an expert to uh, whether... Uh, oh, good. The so level of detachment. So th- it was. This was not self-reporting then. This was not self-reporting. Okay, good. But analyzed by an expert in earlobes. That is a very specific fetish. You know. <laughs> <to have. laughs> I assure you, it's not a fetish. Okay. Everything can be a fetish. <laughs> there's not. A, there's not a. You don't think there's a guy out there who's just like no, all I, about earlobes? No, I think the guy. <laughs> I, I think. Analyzed. I assure you, there is a guy out there who is fantasizing about earlobes, but, but it is not the person you would choose to do this study. Oh right, okay. But you would vet. You would vet people beforehand. <laughs> and be like, no, that guy. That guy's I mean, weird. What I kind of person becomes an expert in earlobes, though? If my not, professionals, you keep your earlobe fetishes. Life to yourself <laughs> at home. Life takes its turns. Come to the office. T- like, did he study earlobe an- analytics at the University of, uh, I don't know, what's the earlobe-shaped part of the country uh, or part of the world, Italy or something? That's not, it doesn't look like an earlobe. Yeah. Earlobe-shaped part of the country. Of the you, world. Went, you went with Italy. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, now who's thinking about weird stuff, Doug? All right. <laughs> now, the, uh, the larger part of their cohort was from 23andMe, and that was, you know, uh, the remaining 60 or so thousand. Uh, people and they were self-reporting but hmm. the good thing is uh you can it's one of those traits you can kind of tell you know i, I look at you and i say okay he's got detached earlobes right i know i have at- attached earlobes i uh, have blue skin therefore i have detached earlobes right and you can and you can uh get that good signal to noise ratio out of the self-reported data okay. so but uh, so what this what they did is they ran their GWAS on this uh, on this cohort, right. but they did it on their uh, expert cohorts first because they still had a few thousand uh, from ethnically diverse areas to work with. So there's still 
uh, a lot that could be pulled out of the data. Okay. And actually, they pulled out six uh, genes that were statistically significant uh, from this first cohort of people. Right. So uh, there are genes that have been determined before. Uh, EDAR and SP5, these are two genes that had been uh, associated before, two regions that had been associated before. And then they pulled out four other regions, including uh, ADGRG6 and PAX9. Okay, so these are, you don't have to know anything about these regions, but just know that they were pulled out. Now, the important thing is when they took that data and looked at the giant self-reported cohort from 23andMe, they picked out the same genes. The same, the same lo- uh, loci were pulled out of the study. Now, the other thing that was, was interesting is that when they looked at the, uh, all of the cohorts together, so all 74,000, so they're not running the analysis individually on these you know, separate cohorts. They're now looking at everything together. They pull out 351 loci with uh, 351 genes, sorry, in 49 areas. But they got more? So there's, when you look at, look at it as a whole, yeah. because it takes a lot to get above statistical significance because there's so much variation in the human genome. So uh, f- they get 50, 351 genes out of your 20, uh, 20 to 30,000 that you have in your human body. Seventy-one of those, when they looked in paralogs or orthologs in mice, were expressed in relevant tissues. This is the largest uh, genome-wide study of earlobe attachment to date. Wait a minute. So if you have unattached earlobes, you have ear diseases? Is that what you're telling me? No. You're okay. No, no, no. This right. is, is this, this cancer. Is, is cancer? Are you diagnosing me with cancer today, Mark, right here, right now? No, I am not doing Because of my that. unattached earlobe. Look, just because my earlobe didn't want to settle down and get a girlfriend doesn't mean that... Okay. It got a wife. Yeah, it did. Yeah, both of them. All right. What then? Sorry. Uh, so it's, <laughs> it's not good or bad whether you have attached or det- detached earlobes. This is actually showing a natural variation. But the reason, the reason you can be... Uh, you can be quite happy that these are real effects is because when these genes are completely ablated uh then you then you have your uh phenotypes of you know your ear disease phenotypes or your your malformations oh if you don't have the variation whereas these are these are these are often single base pair variations so uh you know or single amino acid residue variations within the proteins so they're doing something slightly different in your ear and when you're ear develops it has a slightly different structure uh but these uh, these variations are not causing malformations they're not it's it's not causing a disease of any kind doing so this, doing is, this podcast how many people do you find out are just not as intelligent as you are <laughs> <laughs> so wait so wait, wait people wait. just know different things honestly it's that's the that's uh so is is uh the shape of your ears hereditary or is it like a like a natural uh, changing kind of like a random thing that happens just to prevent your ears from from going nuts or from getting cancer, I guess, as Billy put it. There you go. Yeah. Well, the the basically the statement that this paper makes mm-hmm. about the GWAS about about US. earlobe attachment is they use the GWAS. yes, yeah. it is inherit it is an inherited trait. All right. They Genetically, anyway. they, yeah. which they already knew, but the myriad associations that they uh, saw demonstrate that it's a polygenic 
nature of earlobe attachment. So it's not a single gene that is causing your earlobes to be attached or not attached. This is, uh, and that is something that had been perpetuated through so the primary literature. Is over. This is something you learn in school still, sure. is that it is an example of Mendelian genetics where, you know, it's a single gene trait and if both your parents have it, you will have it, etc. If one okay. of your parents had it, maybe 50% chance. But that's not necessarily... It's a far more complicated situation okay. than that. Am I the only one who was surprised the way he said myriad? I thought he was going to say myriad or something like that. I don't know what the British pronunciation of that word was. Myriad. He just said it like like we would say it. Yeah. It is the same language. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. What did you say? Mendelian genetics. I mean, I know about the 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 peas and everything, but like you described them as. Gregor Mendel, Mendelian. Mendelian. I think I said Mendelian. Mendelian. Okay, so that's how you say that. Mendelian. Some other genes that were picked out uh, in this in this study as um, being you know associated were TBX15, PRRX1, and ZEB2. Uh, interestingly enough, TBX15 is implicated in something called cousin syndrome. That one's got See, yeah, right. These guys are just on a spree of diseases, and they are awful, awful genes. And I think it's good that scientists are tracking them down and using fingerprints. You know. RNA Cutting fingerprints. Off their <laughs> You're really going to regret this in a second. Uh, and ZEB2, which is implicated in Mowat-Wilson syndrome, that's where the ears are cupped and the earlobes are upturned with a central depression. Now, I mean... What, what is that? Is that like where you look like a cartoon character? Like what kind of... I don't a, know. A central depression? Yeah. <laughs> a central is where, yeah, the ears are causing you to be sad at that point. We, we, we can all share he, that's stories. why he said I was going to feel bad. He said I was going to... Okay. okay, exactly. I don't think so. I think why I'm going to feel bad is still coming. So the, so the take-home, the conclusion here is it's polygenic, the, and the, the, they observe several genes in which there are pathogenic variants and that are known to cause human syndromes with ear phenotypes. So these are, the, these are the diseases that they cause. And their hypothesis is that uh, it's not... Whereas these deleterious variants, these things that stop the genes from functioning, they can cause congenital defects and in, uh, in someone. But regulatory variants, like what they detected here with the single base pair, single amino acid changes, variants in the same genes can influence then normal variation, i.e. normal ear development, attached or non-attached lobe. And th- uh, the final note from the study today is the reason this is important is it may lead to a better understanding of the genes regulating earlobes, which could help to treat developmental abnormalities of the ear, jaw, and mouth. Now, yeah, all right. the sobering moment has arrived where you must now explain everything they did. And I didn't get through everything, but right. everything they did right. back to me. Oh, that's why I'm supposed to feel bad, because I, I thought it was called Dr. Heckle. I think, a, yeah, he's yeah, trying to a, give us a hard time. Right, right. Well, I, everything the they did. No, as much as you can, as much as yeah. you can. Tell me, tell me what this group did. They got in their Gwismobile. Uh, yeah, they got ran the over GS. A couple of people. They just asked some people. God, why are you an ass? That's what. And that's what they did. Sign up for Ancestry. dot com. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. Like seriously, though. I mean, I think he wants us to actually he try. Does. Yeah. He yeah. Does. Right. So, okay. So a bunch of two guys. It was two. There was there was a like, two guys. I remember it was two dudes. And I don't remember their name. The sample size is 74,000. Yeah, they had a huge sample size that they got from 23andMe.com, part part of of it. They had a lot of different different types of people. Mm 
you know, uh, racial type. No, I didn't. You didn't talk about black folks, though. You said like you said like uh, European Americans, and you, you talked about Asian. You said like did something like European. Am- yeah. What did you? What was the thing? What was it, it was uh, European Americans, Latin Americans, and it was a Chinese population. Right. So yeah. You have to. You have to take. You know, they were doing. Black earlobes matter. I think that's something <laughs> yes, we need yes. to address here. Yes, they do. Yeah. But in this study, they did not have the data on it. Data collection needs to clearly be better on the African-American earlobe population. <laughs> okay, Billy, so far I think we're doing good, man. Not only have we remembered right. key details, but... All right, so RNA was involved at one point. Eventually, dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah dinosaurs were there. Uh, yeah. and, no, they, they, they were looking for an amino acid chain, so they, they broke all this shit down. You know, they, they, they broke it up, they broke it out, and they identified all these different sections. Yeah. There was something like 300-something and 45-something. Uh, yeah, something at one point. And one of them was like K-Pax 9, which is the ninth film starring Kevin Spacey. Where he, Yeah, exactly. Where, you know, but then they got, that got canceled because of sexual harassment suit. Well, but so, it's, it's now starring Robin Wright again. Right, yeah. So, you know, so, so K-Pax 9 and Zeb 2 and like five or six other ones. And then what they found out was that... Uh, if well, you see, they compared this to mice. You know, when they were looking at the different, that's where the relevant tissues came in, right? Because oh, they right. were they were talking about, oh, you could, uh, well, well, we're going to look at this genome, and then we're going to look at this genome, we're going to look at this set of genes, and this and that, and then they're they're it. trying to look at the the relevant tissues, you know, that are from the mice. Like that means, uh, it, you know, in the same area, like it, it, like tissue is not like a Kleenex, you know, it's like a part of your body. You know, or 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 a group of cells that are similar. Don't I tell think. Tell me what it's, you do with your tissues. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, but that was right, right? They, yes. they, do you remember it that way? That was right. Yeah. So then, then what? Then what? They uh, then they said, oh well, look, there's all these variations, and these variations are definitely what do you say, hereditary, uh, like Mendelian, Men, Mendel, the like the Star Trek villain. The yeah. Yeah. And then he said that that, uh, but the variations. Mm-hmm. If you get a good variation, then you don't have a bad variation. Was basically what he was saying. Was what I heard is like if you if you're in these variations that are normal, attached, unattached, then you're not like undercupped and depressed and all that kind of thing. Like with the Popeye ears or whatever it was he was talking about at the end there. My central's not depressed. Yeah, and then they said that they could they could use this because you're like oh well who gives a shit right like who cares if you can tell me if I'm going to have weird shaped ears. You know, that's not like Alzheimer's or whatever. You know, what are you wasting your time on? But then he said, no, they well, can I, use this yeah, to like exactly. find congenital. That's the word. That, that's like babies, right? Infants. Yeah. Is that what that means? Do you know what that word? I don't know what that word means. What does that word mean, Mark? Congenital. What does that word mean? It means from birth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. So, hey, all right. There we are. And then they can track birth defects of the lower half of your face. So there is a point to knowing and staring at somebody's earlobes. So we just need to go or walk around the entire cross iron concourse now and right. categorize everybody. Right, and then and then we need to find the the, the relevant tissues that have been what was it implicated? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to implicate all the. I think I think the well, I mean the whole idea of implicating bad genes and bad bacteria and all that. Like, hey man, you're next to the gene that causes Alzheimer's. You're implicated in the causing of. And then I feel like I should have somewhere to go with this, but I think I'm I'm about out of steam. Did I miss any? Did I miss anything, Billy? I really don't think so. I think you did a fantastic job. I'm just going to sit here and look pretty. He is very pretty. Thank you. Nice beard, man. You missed a huge amount. No. (laughs) (laughs) But in the time you were doing your explanation, that uh, that really wasn't making any sense. uh, I did look up, and Robin Wright has detached earlobes. 
Oh, all oh, right. There we so, go. My explanation didn't make fantastic. any sense. You're, that in, seems, you're in good company. It made no. Oh, it made some sense. Now, now uh, that brings us to the end of the show. But I have spent the past half an hour or so reeling off information to you guys. Right. And now it's time to flip the tables. Do you have a fact for me today, Doug Gillen? Oh, you want something fast? Let's go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to add. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll redo that bit again. All right. Okay. That brings us to the end of the show, but now it is time for the tables to be turned and you guys to tell me something that I don't know. Now, Billy from Creative Memphis Podcast, what fact have you brought for me today? I'm going to say, I don't know you, Mark. I don't know everything that's in your head. I'm probably going to say something that you do know, but I'm hopefully going to augment it a little bit, which is, you're familiar with Malcolm Gladwell? Yes. uh, Very uh, famed uh, author. Um, He is known for, like, the the out-of-the-can thing, as people tend to say, 10,000 hours uh, is how much it takes in time to master a trade. And then normally you can distill that down to about seven years. But just to, you know, to say you take uh, 10,000 hours at taking a right-hand turn makes you an expert at doing right-hand turns, doesn't also make you an expert at driving just in general. It has to be a challenged and thoughtful 10,000 hours. And that's a callback from our first episode. Joey Miller was bringing that up uh, uh, back in 2014. That's interesting. So you have you can't just learn a trait or learn a you know task yeah, I, and repeat it over and over again. And that and whilst I guess suppose you would get to a certain level, eventually you plateau. You have to constantly challenge yourself, breaking boundaries and barriers during that ten thousand hours to become a master. Otherwise, you may eventually just hit a point and you think you've you know uh, figured everything out, and you really haven't. Okay, so me and Billy, uh, we went to high school together. And uh, we knew each other before that, and mostly because we both like video games. And, you know, when back then it wasn't cool. You had to, like, seek out people who like video games. And then we were a band together in high school. So my fact for you today is about music from video games. Uh, So the video game Mega Man 2, absolute classic, original Nintendo. Also Rockman 2, if you go to the Japanese version. Absolutely fantastic music in Mega Man 2. The original compositions for most of the music in Mega Man 2, only one of those compositions made it into the game that was the Crash Man stage. Most of those compositions were rejected by Capcom as sounding too gamey and too fun because they were written in a major key. And the actual compositions, which became mostly the legendary ones that we know today, in particular the Metal Man stage and Dr. Wily Castle stage one, everybody knows that, uh, were written in a minor key with a driving bass line not too dissimilar from amazing legendary 70s and 80s and 90s and 2000s and 2010s rock band Iron Maiden with a galloping bass line for energy and a minor theme to indicate a sense of suspense and adventure. That is fantastic. And he's doing it justice today. He's wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt. We will post a picture of that. Yeah, and, I, and uh, Eddie is, Instagram uh, is actually Iron Man here. This Iron, yeah, he's... Okay. Fantastic uh, yeah. facts there, Doug. Now, uh, finally, I'm going to give you a chance to plug your wares. Tell us uh, where we can find the projects that you're working on and what you're doing in the uh, coming year. You can find uh, my podcast at creativememphispodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Creative Memphis. Great. And uh, Doug, what projects have you got coming up? 
Yeah, the biggest thing I do is I do a monthly show in Memphis, Tennessee, stand-up called Tuesday Show Comedy. It is uh, every month at the High Cotton Brewing Company. And uh, you can check that out on January 30th is the next one coming up. We do it every month, and you can see who's coming up, what kind of shows are coming up, either on Meetup, uh, that's the Meetup app, or you can find us at Memphis is Funny, Memphis Comedy, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Tuesday Show Comedy. Great. Now, uh, that is the end of our show. Thank you, Billy Nation. Thank you, Doug Gillen. Thank you, Mark Brimble. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. And Thank good, you, Doug. Good night. Dr. Heckle is an OEM Network production recorded at the Crosstown Concourse in Memphis, Tennessee. Your host was Mark Brimble. Your guests were Doug Gillen and Billy Nation. The show was produced by Mark Brimble, Gil Worth, and Zach Lozier. Special thanks to John Miller and Carla Worth. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to get in touch about appearing on the show or topics you'd like us to cover, email us at drhecklepod at gmail.com.